Welcome to this special podcast brought to you by Hexagon. My name is Brian, and today in our third installment of the podcast series, Digital Twins, The Gateway to Autonomous Industrial Facilities, hosted by Adrian Park, Vice President of Pre-Sales at Hexagon's Asset Lifecycle Intelligence Division, we are very pleased to have two guests from Harbor Energy, the largest independent oil and gas company listed in London. Adrian is joined by James Sitter, Harbor Energy's VP of Modifications and Project Services, and James Buchan, Technical Data Team Lead at Harbor Energy. Together, they'll dive into the origins of Harbor Energy's Digital Twin Initiative and explore its accomplishments so far. This podcast series is created in partnership with Petroleum Economist and also broadcasts on PE Live Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to this PE Live podcast and the third episode in the series Digital Twins, the gateway to autonomous industrial facilities in association with Hexagon. I'm Carolyn Schatz, an energy journalist and a regular contributor to Petroleum Economist. In this episode of the Hexagon Digital Twin podcast series, Hexagon's expert Adrian Park will be examining with Harbor Energy's James Sitter, VP for Modifications and Project Services, and James Buchan, Technical Data Team Lead, the background for their Digital Twin initiative, what has been achieved to date, and how the platform will be used to enable collaborative execution of sustaining engineering projects. We will also explore their further plans to move beyond the digital twin to leverage the smart digital reality for operational integrity and project efficiency. So over to Adrian, who will facilitate the discussion. Thank you, Carolyn. For those of you who've been following this podcast service, you might recall that the first two episodes of the podcast service, we focused on the nature of digital twins and how digital twins can be used in projects and operations and the potential benefits that can be gained from this. In this third episode, we're joined today by Harbour Energy, who is deploying the digital twin technology on several operating offshore oil and gas facilities on the UK continental shelf and can give us some first-hand feedback on what they've achieved, future plans, and advice that we would offer others who are considering embarking on implementing a digital twin. So first of all, I'd like to welcome James Sitter and James Buchan from Harbour Energy. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Adrian. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. Okay. So for the benefit of any listeners who aren't familiar with Harbour Energy, could one of you please give us a very brief introduction to Harbour Energy? Yeah, sure. So Adrian, Harbour Energy is the largest listed upstream independent in London. We've got a leading position in the UK continental shelf, as you mentioned, and we've also got overseas interests in Indonesia, Mexico, Norway. We produce about 200,000 barrels equivalent today. We've got three main operated hubs in the UK. So, you know, those involve offshore platforms in hazardous environments. We've got a number of both platform-based wells, subsea wells, subsea infrastructure, and processing facilities and you know manned facilities in an offshore environment. We've also got material interest in a lot of non-operated fields throughout the UK and elsewhere. And we've also got development in some of the CCS projects in the UK as well. So the name Harbour Energy, it's new to a lot of people, but it does have a longer history to it. Back in 2017, there was the private equity firm EIG. They funded Chrysor to do a purchase of the Shell assets in the UK. That followed up in 2019 to acquire the ConocoPhillips UK assets. And then more recently, 2021, there was a reverse takeover with Premier Oil, and that resulted in what is now known as Harbour Energy back on, onto the London listing. 
Thanks. So before we start discussing the selection and implementation of a digital twin solution, could one of you tell us a bit about the prime drivers that led you to decide on the need to implement digital twin solution? Yes, Adrian. So we had many legacy systems that required to be integrated following our mergers and acquisitions of our heritage companies. So these systems were hosted internally and externally with a combination of on-premise and cloud solutions. And we had limited system integration in place with the consequence of restricting our ability to reuse data, having significant risk of misalignment during current engineering and maintenance activities, and with the result of the formation of many data silos, which is you know not ideal. So to address some of the gaps, custom processes and systems were developed as workarounds but we still had the issue of high levels of manual intervention being required to ensure data alignment. So the custom workaround solutions are not sustainable, and as a, an alternative solution was required that eliminates their necessity. This resulted in data integrity risks and significant data reconciliation effort. Yeah, and just to add to James Buchan's comments on that, Adrian, you know, we're, as a company, Harbour Energy is really trying to position for future growth activity. We've got quite an active capital and maintenance programs ongoing on our assets, which means, you know, we're more or less routinely doing modifications to the offshore infrastructure. We've got a large number of contractors that work with us, a lot of contracting models, systems and processes. And obviously this count compounds over time. We've also undertaken quite a bit of organizational change in order to bring the assets together. There's quite a bit of complexity that's associated with that. So really from our perspective, it was imperative that we really develop more of a long-term solution to, to managing our data. Okay, well, thanks for that as a background. Now, obviously, the first step in the process was selection of a digital twin platform and vendor. It's no secret you finally chose Hexagon. But could you tell us more about what were the major criteria as regards the selection of a technology platform and vendor? Absolutely, Adrian. Yeah, when we went out to the market a couple of years ago, we really engaged with more of a vision, not just a tender. You know, we went out and we had a view that Owner operators need to take control of their data. You know, owning that digital information is just as important as owning that physical asset. We also had a view that you know, access to that shared data and trusted data, it will really be foundational for the efficient and effective delivery of engineering, construction, operations, really anything we're doing with the assets over their life cycle. And what we were really looking for in the tender, you know, we obviously look for technical capabilities. But particularly coming from an owner-operator side, you know, we're also looking at the user experience for our operations teams, for our maintenance teams, interconnectivity. Obviously, Hexagon is providing quite a foundational platform for us, but we do have quite a number of third-party softwares and companies that we work with as well. So it's that ability to connect to those external systems. And it's really just to allow us more of an open platform for scalable innovation. And what we really recognize in the tender is nobody has the finished article. You know, if you really go in the market and you're asking for a digital twin, it's not that you can just buy one off the shelf. So we were also looking for, you know, companies that we can form strategic relationship with to work where we knew there was that shared vision and a drive toward continuous improvement. Thanks for that. So once a vendor was selected, one thing that struck us as a vendor here is that Harbour Energy has had a, a very aggressive approach regarding rollout. There was no proof of concept or pilot that we're familiar with. You move straight into a full-scale implementation across multiple assets in parallel. In our experience, that's not usual. Could you tell us a bit more about this approach? Yes, Adrian. Yeah, I can do. And you're right, it is quite unusual, the approach that we've taken but we had a clear vision to implement a fully integrated cloud solution across all our assets and consolidate our data and work processes into one environment. So we had that very clear vision up front. 
And this will allow us to realize significant benefits and address the business drivers that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. It was a conscious decision to embark on a digital transformation project with an aggressive timeline with multiple work streams working in parallel. So for Harbour Energy, it's all about digitalization, not digitization. And these are very different strategies to understand. So digitalization, for example, includes converting your whole work process to automated electronic workflows using digital technology. On the other hand, digitization, for example, just looks at maybe taking a hard copy book of drawings, scanning the drawings and make them available on a SharePoint site. So yeah, these are two very different strategies. We recognized we needed to move quickly to gain the benefits, and this required the holistic approach that we've taken, as you outlined. Making small incremental changes would have taken too long, made it difficult to take advantage of the full capability of the solution, including all the workflows, the integration, the central solution, and we would have lost momentum as people would lose their focus and attention as other initiatives would take priority in the company. This is a fast-moving field. You know, so things can change in other areas that if we're not thought about together as a collection. Everyone's aware of the fast pace of the introduction of chat GPT and the AI and technology world is moving at quite a fast pace just now and we can't really be holding back. Thanks for that. So we're now two years into the implementation at Harbour Energy. Could you briefly tell us something about what you've achieved so far? Yes, Adrian. So the, the cloud solution has been built, including support for engineering, through laser scanning and design tools for projects, for operations, commissioning, and project controls, and it will support the whole life cycle of an asset. We've loaded over 500,000 tags from legacy heritage classification structures. These have been converted into a common structure centered around the CFOS standard and loaded up. Over 5 million control documents with metadata have been cleaned according to the asset taxonomies and loaded up. And tags and documents were migrated from custom and complex legacy systems for each operating hub in a short time frame of less than three months. So I think probably unprecedented in terms of the speed and the delivery that we've achieved as well. We've loaded over 20,000 laser scan points. These were converted from a standard format and loaded for visualization. So that information is now accessible by operations, which was never visible before. We've carried out trials with the Leica the blk to go handheld scanner offshore. We've processed the data and loaded that into the Cyclone Enterprise solution from Leica. And this, this is a component of the cloud solution. And that was very quick as well, you know, a very small amount of training. And we can deliver that solution because the technology has improved dramatically in terms of the processing and loading of data. This enables clash detection with the structural 3D model during engineering design. So it's crucial we have that information available. We've converted over 1,200 piping and instrumentation diagrams to smart PID format and the remainder of the harbour's energies, 1,000 PIDs are due to be completed by the end of this year. We've recovered, converted, and loaded all our piping catalogues and specifications for all the hubs, and that's been loaded up into the Hexagon Smart Reference Database for use with the 3D model. And we're in the process of converting and verifying our nine large structural models from a legacy system to Smart 3D. So that's in progress at the moment, and we're making good progress on that. In addition, we've created 400 commissioning inspection test routines and smart completions, and we carried out a very successful trial offshore with the package on a tablet as well. And we've implemented project controls using Ecosys. So you can see we've got a broad set of activities going on over a number of systems, and we've made some good progress. And part of that's down to that we've approached this as well using the Agile approach with multiple parallel work streams, with good sprint planning, regular scrum calls, and effective collaboration between Hexagon, Harbour, ENC contractors, and other people as well. 
That's a really impressive list of achievements. But could you tell us a bit more about the early wins that you've managed to achieve and the incremental benefits you've got from these systems? Yeah, sure, Adrian. So one of the key benefits is the consolidation of legacy systems into a single cloud-based solution user, using standard out-the-box software that's been configured to meet the Harbor Energy work processes. So that's been key. Also having an integrated solution allows work processes to be automated and streamlined using electronic workflows. And that's uh, enabling the whole life cycle of projects and operations to be managed effectively in one solution. So it's the full life cycle information management process that we've got. Having a common system has also opened up operations access to information that was once only exclusively available to projects and engineering. As I mentioned earlier, that's like visualization of laser scan data by the assets. And having a common system means that everyone only requires to be trained and competent in one system due to the consistency this makes cross-working much more achievable and effective. And all our contractors have access to the required information on the one platform as well. So it makes their training less onerous and it means they've got access to the one environment that's managed and controlled by Harbour Energy rather than a third-party contractor that traditionally we've had in the past. Cleanup activities carried out during the loading of data has improved data quality in the cloud solution. So that's been a side benefit for preparing and loading the data. And we gained early control of all tagged equipment and were able to check, correct, and align the tagging data with other systems to ensure the data was reconciled. We have carried out a number of use case proof of concepts, such as performing a virtual line walk from India on a peer ID using our laser scan data. And that's been very effective in showing us some discrepancies, and that's typically carried out offshore. We've performed geotagging of the laser scan data, so we get contextual information about the tags, so we can view information more readily. And we provide the color-coded locked open, lock closed valves on our PNIDs so that the offshore assets can very quickly see in a visual graphic what where the valves are. And we've created some more contextual data to make searching and retrieving information more readily available. That's a pretty convincing list of business benefits, but I'm sure it wasn't all plain sailing. Could you tell us a little bit about what the greatest challenges you've had to date and how you've had to overcome them? I think it's pretty fair to say that we presented some pretty big challenges in our tender. We went out with this vision of an end-to-end platform, full asset lifecycle, everything controlled, customizable access, internal, external users, you know, across the supply chain. Another key requirement was everything in the cloud, you know, remove that burden from our IT teams and our on-prem IS teams. Everything at pace, as we've already discussed, you know, we went up with a very aggressive timeline even through the tender. And everything on complex brownfield assets, everything's in a live environment, it's 24-7 operations, so there's really no acceptability for any loss of data in any time through this entire process. You know, some of the really big challenges that we had, you know, James has mentioned the conversion of some of the large models into S3D. We recovered live managed models with active projects and active modifications taking place in them through the designers into the S3D system. Quite a bit of collaboration with the engineering contractors, Hexagon themselves, and quite a few third parties to verify that data. I would say that one kept me up at night a little bit recovering those, but you know the success of that is really, you know, as we have converted that, we've actually identified areas to even improve those models as they come into the S3D system. The clash detection in the cloud, we spoke about that in terms of getting the everything in the cloud environment. You know, that's an area on Hexagon's roadmap, and it's not quite a product that you can get directly from Hexagon. So we certainly worked with you know, other third parties to ensure that we can get a workable solution for the interim, you know, and really just to drive that everything in the cloud solution. And also, you know, an area that we're quite keen to share back with Hexagon is around how we manage from an owner-operator all the brownfield workflows that go through our assets. 
a lot of the tool sets are really set up ideally for a greenfield asset and it's understanding that complexity of live operations into it. And as James mentioned, you know, the agile approach, that commitment to standard functionality, open communications and collaboration, that's been absolutely key through this process. One of the other large challenges, which I'm sure most people would consider when, before they would undertake a project like this is the internal management of change. You know, it, it's fair to say that the information we're touching touches every aspect of our business, you know, whether it be operations, engineering, maintenance projects, we touch everything that everybody looks at. So there's clear engagement with the teams and, you know, part of that engagement is about balancing that, you know, enticing them with the future vision of where everything is going and, and really getting them on board with why we're doing it. But also, you know, what's realistically going to happen today, tomorrow, the operations teams need to know that where they found their data yesterday, they need to know exactly where to find it tomorrow. And it's just about bringing them on that journey and not overpromising what we can deliver, you know, on a day by day basis. What I would say it can demonstrate is we have a very complex operations that has formed through a, a number of legacy companies and it can be done, you know, it can be done effectively. And I would say we're, we're seeing not any data loss, we're actually seeing data improvements as we go through the process. Thanks for that, James. One of the requirements that Harbour Energy had for the digital twin was its adoption as a collaboration platform across the value chain for operations. You know, you're currently in the process of implementing a major sustaining engineering contract. How would you see the digital twin playing a role there? Yeah, so the digital twin actually played a central role to this. So when we put together the tender for the digital twin, that was actually developed in parallel with the with what we call a framework engineering construction contract covering the entirety of our operations. And they really were issued with the same central vision. You know, the same material was used in both tenders to discuss how we want to not just use technology, but use technology as a real enabler to see a step change. You know, one of the things that really stands out to us is if, if you look at engineering construction productivity, you know, both domestically in the UK or globally, the last 30 years have been pretty dismal. And there's a lot of reports that indicate, you know, compared to any other sector, we're as much as a 50% gap to productivity in the rest of the economy. There was a guy, Mark Farmer, 2017, put out one of the UK government strategy reports. It was aptly named Modernize or Die. He really stressed that, you know, the engineering construction sector was facing an inexorable decline brought about by dysfunctional training, lack of innovation, lack of use of digital tools, collaboration, and really limited R&D. And our view in putting out these contracts, both the digital twin and the engineering construction framework agreements, was we wanted to break that trend you know, in that technology is an enabler, but you absolutely got to have the right approach to your supply chain collaboration, your skills development, and really, you know, that shared objectives and success measures, targets about, about continuous improvement, and some mechanisms as well about sharing that value. Some of the areas we've really taken on board through that process was moving from a more transactional supply chain engagement to a much more collaborative mechanisms. We've embraced some of the areas, even things like the ISO 19650, the building information modeling standards. You know, those are more traditionally associated with the AEC sector, but the concepts of supply chain collaboration and engagement really ring true with irrespective of the industry. And as James mentioned earlier, we've adopted things like CFOS to really take on board industry standards. And, it, you know, the prize is large. McKinsey had a report in 2017, engineering construction productivity, you know, is a global trend. It's not a pretty trend. And they view it as a $1.6 trillion drag on the global economy. As I said earlier, 50% gap to any other sector in the industries. Any incremental change towards that has an absolutely massive impact on competitors in the industry. Thanks, James. It's going to be really interesting actually following that up in the future to see how easy it, how we actually manage to achieve some of those benefits. 
I'd like to turn now to something different. Safety and sustainability are both at the top of executive agendas for oil, oil and gas companies, not only Harbour Energy, I'm sure. What role do you see the digital trends playing in those areas? Yeah, obviously, given the nature of our business, you know, we've got people offshore in, in hazardous environments every single day, 24-7 working offshore, you know, in, these, in the waves and the wind and the cold. So safe operations is absolutely paramount to everything we do. So from our perspective, running those types of sites, it actually simplified the justification of the digital twin. We see there's an intrinsic link between control of that information and process safety and how we can actually manage our assets. As we say, you know, it was really a, a drive to get control of that information as soon as possible, really to ensure that we didn't lose any gaps in safety through that process. And you see similar parallels coming out. You know, we had the Grenfell tragedy in the UK and, and Dame Hackett, when she did her report, she highlighted, you know, in other sectors that this golden thread of information through an asset's life cycle is absolutely critical to the safe performance of those assets. And, you know, if we take a look at sustainability, you know, the productivity gains, as I say, they're really an icing to us because we really justified based on control of information from a safety perspective. But there's obvious improvements in productivity gains that we made. You know, we look at the workflows and access to information, and that's the key to sustainability. If we look at building things quicker and more effectively and more efficiently and safely, that is how we're going to challenge the big areas in society, whether it be energy security, climate change, economy. We've got to be able to execute projects and operate assets effectively. I think to add to that as well, you know, we also need to attract and retain talent to the ENC sector. We need to ensure we are seen as an area that's embracing technology, digitalization and innovation. That's key to get the right people on board. Because, you know, having those people there can help to drive further improvements in that technology and so on. The digital twin will allow data quality to improve through ongoing asset modifications and maintenance activities with greater ability to check consistency, correctness and completeness of data during handover to operations. And further integration will allow streamlining work processes and, and improved data alignment with the ability to adopt more efficient master data management. It's really key that we understand where we manage our data, which systems are the master. And rather than at the moment where we have data being fragmented over different systems, we need to take uh, greater control. And that, you know, having the cloud solution helps us to achieve that. It is safety critical information, so it does tie very closely to the whole safety concern as well. And we have the opportunity to bring work onshore as well, thereby reducing offshore trips. So that, that itself is a very physical safety measure we can take. We can make sustainable continuous improvements and further data enrichments through adopting upgrades to the system and joining the roadmap for the Hexagon solution. And also just trying to further improve integration. And as I said earlier, making that master data management understanding very clear within the company. We can verify our data using the technology. We've mentioned examples before where we can do virtual line walking. We can look at geotagging or laser scans. So it's all enhancing the information and making it more accessible for people and giving them more information that they can make decisions upon as well, more timely. Thanks for that. What I'd like to do now is ask you both to gaze into the crystal ball a little bit and look ahead from and see where do you see the digital twin and harbour energy progressing over the next three to five years? Good question, Adrian. You know, I was asked a couple of years ago with the ECI TV in the UK to present with a guy named Alex Robertson from Petrofac on what we saw the future of project controls. And it's actually a term we've adopted into our tenders, both the digital twin tender as well as our engineering and construction contracts. And the term was three clicks to anywhere, you know, and that's really remains the goal. And we do state that through the ultimate aim, what we're trying to get to. 
we see that digital systems are really transforming how people work. You know, we can see the more recent impacts around some of the AI systems. And I think people are really waking up to the reality that things can change quite quickly overnight. And people will need to adapt to that new environment. And it's going to be all about information in the future. You know, we see information supporting decision-making pretty much in every aspect of what we do. And it's about getting that right information, the right context, the right people and at the right time. That's really going to have a material impact on safety, sustainability, and really how we can perform and tackle, as I said, some of the big issues in the built environment. Yeah, in addition to that, from James as well, we also want to, to make sure that we fully implemented, embedded, and adopted the digital twin solution. It's really important that it's people accept the system, they see the benefits, and they use it to all its capability. And that's both our internal people and also our contractors. So we've got a large network of contractors, and it's really important that they embrace that change and they see the benefits. And you know, I think once they see the benefits and it helps the wider company, then it's going to be a bit of a snowball approach, I think. We want the concept of continuous handover from projects to operations. So we want to see that full lifecycle information management approach where we get to data coming over. Operations should have full visibility of the status of activities during the full project lifecycle as well. So we want to be able to not only have a good handover, but also to have visibility of looking under the hood and seeing what's happening in projects by operations people. We want to have a holistic overview of the status of all assets to be available. So the digital twin can be more than just projects, operations. It can really show the life of the asset. It can show where we've got safety impairments. We can see where we've got isolations. We've got, you know, maybe hazard operability studies going on. It's all going to really enhance all the different functions within Harbour Energy, not just a project's environment or operations, but, you know, technical safety and all the other groups as well that can use this tool to help them perform their daily work as well. Implementing autonomous technology and the connection to live asset data are areas that will enable us to achieve evergreen data. And that's really important as well. It's very difficult to get, you know, evergreen data just by, you know, capturing data through projects, we need to have the ability to use technology there that can help us to achieve that. This will allow our teams to be more effective and efficient. And we want to move our people to higher value tasks and reduce or eliminate the burden of searching and retrieving data. You know, far too often people spend too long trying to find information and potentially not trusting what they find as well. So we want to move away from that. Yes, I mean, I think you're right. Trustworthy information is absolutely key for people to be able to work effectively. I'd like to now ask you both a final question. There are probably some listeners to this podcast who are probably in the same situation where Harbour Energy was two years ago. What would really be your advice that you'd give them when it comes to considering selecting and implementing digital twins? We've definitely had this question before, Adrian, from other people when they see what we've undertaken because it is quite comprehensive. You know, if I just think from a high level, it's got to be holistic. You know, we are talking about digitalization. So you've got to think how how it will fit into the wider picture. And things can get complex if you really look at it, you know, all the details of it. And it's about understanding from a high level, how are the pieces going to fit together? And you've got to have a business case. But I guess our experiences is don't overpromise that business case. You know, the value is definitely there. You know, as soon as you start really stepping into where there's areas for efficiency improvements, you don't need to overpromise that business case. You just need a robust case that is deliverable in a reasonable time frame. It's also about collaboration, best practices and standards. You know, these days where we've internal bespoke approaches or developed our own custom systems, you know, those days are long gone. That's really why we've really driven towards the cloud because it almost forces our hand to really follow the best practices in industry. And it's also about involving the right people. You know, this isn't just 
an IT project where you're delivering a bit of software that is, you just load it and go. It's about change that drives a lot of people in your business, about project managers, engineers, maintenance, operations. So it's really about engaging those people because it's, it's those people's day jobs that will be impacted from it. As well, having the right attitude as well. Adrian, you know, I've been in this industry for almost 25 years now, and this is a pretty exciting time. And I think it's the first time, you know, where I can look back and think things are really changing. And the engineering construction sector is really going to lead the way. I think to add to that, you know, James talked about collaboration, but I think we need to look at the agile approach as well that we've adopted. Moving to a traditional waterfall approach to implement such a solution really is not really the most effective. And for us, you know, having a taken on board the agile approach, working collaboratively with all this, the different parties together, gives you the flexibility to adapt as you work through the process. We have adapted and we have changed our sequencing of the activities that we implement, but the vision's still there, the vision's still very clear, but you need a bit of flexibility. And the change management's really important. I know, Adrian, we've spoken about this before, how important that is for rolling out this type of solution, and it can't be underestimated. It's a big part of the project requirements to make sure people really understand what the change impact is on their roles and their work. This is a digital transformation, so it's a multifaceted implementation. So people need to be aware of what's been rolled out just now and in the future as well. And the implementations on live assets. So we need to have careful planning and testing to make sure that we don't interrupt the operations. You know, we need people to be on board with us to get the benefits and but also to not interrupt live operations. And the benefits, one of the key things as well is the benefits need to be accessible for everyone to understand. I've seen it before where people don't quite get the concepts and it can be a little bit intangible. So it's really important to make sure that they are accessible and your people in the coalface really see the benefits the way it's going to help them as well. It's not just about providing dashboards and nice graphics. It's about making a difference to life cycle for the operations and projects and the whole asset. So I think, and a final comment here as well is about understanding and influencing the roadmap for the solution itself with Hexagon. It's about continuous improvement. You know, the solution just now is pretty mature, but there's still opportunity to enhance it. And there is a roadmap there that we know about. So it's been on board with the roadmap and helping to influence that roadmap so that it's more of a win-win really between Hexagon and the company themselves. So I think something that James mentioned was McKinsey 2017, where there was a large productivity gap. And I think people need to recognize as well that there's an opportunity here, not just to influence your own organization, but to help with the wider gap as well that's out there within the UK and worldwide as well. So I think we've got our part to play as well to help close that productivity gap and the solution can help to achieve that. Thanks for good advice for others considering implementing digital twin technologies. Well, that's really all we've got time for in this episode of our Digital Twin podcast series. So that leaves me to thank my two guest speakers, James Sitter and James Buchan, both from Harbour Energy, for their valuable time and being willing to so openly share their knowledge and experience with us today. Much appreciated. Thanks for having us on, Adrian. Okay. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you very much. And with that, our hand is back to Carolyn at Petroleum Economist. Thank you to all of you for a very interesting discussion. And thank you to our audience for joining us. Don't forget that all episodes in the series on Digital Twins are available via Petroleum Economist and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again and goodbye. 